Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. The most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. Remy has trained most of their officer corps. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington. Nobody would know a thing about it until it was all over. And once more, we play our dangerous game. Without all the vessels, the American Navy. His plan is a mystery. A man with your responsibilities reading about the end of the world. Apparently, he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fire his missiles on the United States. If you want us to help you hunt him down, kill him. Open the outer doors, firing point procedures. We sail into history. I'm gonna blow him right to Mars. Ramius might be trying to defect. You're just an analyst. What can you possibly know what goes on in this mind? I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I'm expendable. He's defecting. You willing to bet your life on that? From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. From the director of Die Hard. Give this man a chance. My orders are specific. Battle stations. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill. The Hunt for Red October. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to talk about the movie The Hunt for Red October from 1990. The studio was Paramount Pictures. The release date was March 2nd, 1990. The running time, 135 minutes with a rating of PG. The budget was $30 million, and the box office was a major success, making $122 million, making it the sixth-ranked movie of 1990. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 88% fresh from 69 reviews. The critics' consensus is it's perfectly cast and packed with suspense. The Hunt for Red October is an old-fashioned submarine thrower with plenty of firepower to spare. Roger Ebert gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars at the time, and here's his review. The movies have one sure way of involving us that never fails. They give us a character who is right and when everyone else is wrong and then invite us to share his frustration as he tries to talk some sense into the blockheads. In The Hunt for Red October, that character is Jack Ryan, the intelligence man who believes he knows the real reason why a renegade Soviet skipper is trying to run away with a submarine. The skipper's name is Ramius, and he is the most respected man in the Soviet underwater navy. He has trained most of the other captains in the fleet, and now he has been given the controls of an advanced new submarine named Red October, a sub that uses a revolutionary new drive that is faster than any other ship beneath the waves, and almost completely silent. American intelligence tracks the Red October as it leaves its Soviet shipyard, but then the sub seems to disappear. Soon after, the entire Soviet Navy mobilizes itself into a vast cat-and-mouse game in the North Atlantic. The Soviets would like their American counterparts to believe that Ramius is a madman who wants to hide his sub off of the American coast and aim its nuclear missiles at New York or Washington. They ask the U.S. Navy to help them track and destroy the Red October. But Ryan, played by Alec Baldwin, believes that would be a tragic mistake. He tells his superior, an admiral played by James Earl Jones, that Ramius is actually trying to defect 
and to bring his submarine along with him. That is the setup for John McTiernan's film, as it was for Tom Clancy's best-selling novel. And in both cases, it is also the starting point for a labyrinth plot in which, half of the time, we have to guess at the reasons for Ramius's actions. It is a tribute to the movie, which has much less time than Clancy did at book length. That it allows the plot its full complexity, and yet is never less than clear to the audience. Many military throwers, especially those set in the Cold War period, rely on stereotyping and large, crude motivations to move their stories along. The Hunt for Red October has more fun by suggesting how easily men can go wrong, how false assumptions can seem seductive, and how enormous consequences can sometimes hang by slender threads. Ryan's knowledge of Ramius' personality, for example, upon which so much depends, is based on entirely on one occasion where they dined at the same table. Everything else is simply a series of skilled hunches. McTiernan, whose previous films were Predator and Die Hard, showed a sense of style and timing in those movies, but what he adds in The Hunt for Red October is something of the same detached intelligence that Clancy brought to the novel. Somehow, we feel this is more than a thrower. It's an exercise in military and diplomatic strategy in which the players are all smart enough that we can't take their actions for granted. The Hunt for Red October has more of than a dozen important speaking roles, in addition to many more cast members who are crucial for a scene or two. Any film with a cast this large must depend, to some extent, on typecasting. We couldn't keep the characters straight any other way. What McTiernan does is to typecast without stereotyping. Sean Connery makes a convincing Ramius, and yet, with his barely concealed Scottish accent, he is far from being a typical movie Soviet. Baldwin, as the dogged intelligence officer, has the looks of a leading man, but he dials down his personality. He presents himself as a deck-bound bureaucrat who can't believe he has actually gotten himself into this field exercise, and Scott Glenn, as the commander of a U.S. submarine that finds itself within yards of the silent Red October, is leaner, younger, and has more edge than most of the standard movie skipper types. The production design lends a lot to the movie's credibility. I'm told that the interiors of the submarine in this movie look a great deal like more high-tech and glossy than they do in real life, that there would be more grease around on the real sub, and yet, for the movie screen, the subs look properly impressive, with their awesome displays of electronic gadgetry. The movie does not do as good of a job communicating the daily and hourly reality of submarine life as Das Boot did, but perhaps that's because we're never trapped and claustrophobic inside of a sub for a whole movie. There are cutaways to the White House and CIA headquarters in Langley, to the Kremlin, and to the decks of the ships at sea. If there's one area where the movie is truly less than impressive, it's the underwater exterior shots. Using models of submarines, the filmmakers have attempted to give an impression of these behemoths maneuvering under the sea. But the outside of the submarine is not intrinsically photogenic, and what these shots most look like are large, gray, bloated whales seen through dishwater. And yet, that lapse doesn't much matter. The Hunt for Red October is a skillful, efficient film that involves us in the clever and deceptive game of being played by Ramius and in the best efforts of those on both sides to figure out what he plans to do with his submarine and how he plans to do it. The movie is constructed so we can figure that out along with everyone else, and that leaves a lot of surprises for the conclusion, which is quite satisfactorily suspenseful. There was only one question that bothered me throughout the movie, as one whose basic ideas about submarines come from Commander. Edward Beach's classic Run Silent, Run Deep, in which 
the onboard oxygen supply was a source of constant concern, I kept asking myself if those Russian sailors should be smoking so much down there in the depths of the ocean. And that's the end of his review. I'm pretty sure I saw The Hunt for Red October as a video rental. However, I must admit at the time, it was a bit too boring for me at that age. On the other hand, the Jack Ryan movies with Harrison Ford, I immediately loved those when I first saw them. The Hunt for Red October is kind of more of a slow burner and definitely appealed to adults at the time who understood and lived through the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia for over 30 years at that point. And as I got older and more into the art of film, I returned to the movies that I probably blew off when I was younger. And this is a prime example of a film that I appreciate way more now. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have Sean Connery, who plays Marco Ramius. And Connery was a film legend at this point in his career. And he was still appearing in terrific films later in his career, like The Untouchables and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Without Connery, The Hunt for Red October would fall flat for me. Alec Baldwin plays Jack Ryan, and though Baldwin had been acting since the early 1980s, his real break as lead actor was this film. Prior to playing Jack Ryan, Baldwin appeared in movies like She's Having a Baby, Beetlejuice, Married to the Mob, Working Girl, and Great Balls of Fire. Scott Glenn plays Bart Mancuso, and Glenn had been acting since the late 1960s, but I best remember him as the villain in Urban Cowboy with John Travolta. Some other notable films for Glenn include Apocalypse Now, The Right Stuff, and Silverado. Sam Neill plays Captain Baroden. Neill had been acting since the early 1970s, appearing in a variety of films, but really he's best known for his role in Jurassic Park and The Hunt for Red October. James Earl Jones plays Admiral Greer, and he's obviously one of the greatest voices ever in show business, and for the most part, he's always been a character actor, but his voice always keeps him working, and most famously, he was the voice of Darth Vader in the Star Wars series. However, the role I will remember him for is Terrence Mann in the Field of Dreams movie, Dog and a Beer. Of course, he's also terrific as Eddie Murphy's father in Coming to America. The director is John McTiernan, and prior to this film, he directed the original Predator from 1987, and then the next year he directed Die Hard. Not a bad run for three top-grossing films in a row. Screenwriter was Larry Ferguson, and Ferguson, prior to the Red October, actually wrote the screenplay to another Connery film, Highlander. Next, he wrote Beverly Hills Cop 2, and then went back with Connery again in The Presidio with him and Mark Harmon and Meg Ryan. All right, so let's get into the making of the movie. The novel came out in Europe before it actually came out in the United States. Tom Clancy's books were very popular in the 1980s. The Hunt for Red October is actually Clancy's first published novel, which he sold for only $5,000 to the Naval Institute Press. The book ended up being a huge seller, and Clancy never looked back. Screenwriter Larry Ferguson knew it would be difficult to adapt the novel into a movie due to the scope and size, and then, you know, then try to reduce it to film. Director John McTiernan had a vision of the film which closely based on the novel. So even though the McTiernan liked Ferguson's screenplay, it had to be adjusted for McTiernan's liking. And the two essentially wrote the, another screenplay. Larry Ferguson is actually in the film as the chief of the boat in the beginning. Kevin Costner was the first choice of the producers to play Jack Ryan. However, Costner was more interested in his Dancing with Wolves project. So they looked for more of an up-and-coming actor, and Alec Baldwin fit the bill. James Earl Jones said Baldwin could actually memorize pages and pages of dry dialogue, much like the boardroom scene. And Baldwin actually followed CIA agents to prepare for the role. 
Connery at the time was looking for a film to act in, and The Hunt for Red October sort of simply fell in his lap, which was great timing, because at first, Connery was going to reject the role because he felt it didn't make sense because he thought it was the present day, 1990. He didn't realize it was actually set in 1984. The facts they sent to him didn't say 1984, but after he found that out, he was in. And really, without Connery, the film simply wouldn't work as well. Scott Glenn actually went on a submarine to follow the captain on duty. The captain basically made him uh, equal rank and command so he could feel what it was like to be immersed in a sub while being in charge. And really, this translates to his role. Glenn said the captain never raised his voice, but he had a presence that all the men followed without question. Glenn essentially copied the captain of the Salt Lake City sub in his role. In order for the sub to look like there were waves and and storming around it, other boats went around in circles with fog machines to give the illusion of a storm with the above water sub. This is why it looks so much better than CGI. In order to differentiate between the two subs inside, the cinematographer came up with a lighting scheme. He essentially did it backwards to common thinking. The Russian sub was lit in blue when inside. However, the United States sub was red. It's subtle, but it helps the audience figure out which sub is on screen. The legend goes that the basis of Clancy's novel was based on true events that actually happened from the lore of captains. The title cards in the beginning of the film are sort of a nod to this. Clancy disagreed with McTiernan about Jack Ryan's wife. McTiernan, in order to explain why Ryan was living in England, gave him an English wife. Clancy never liked this because it wasn't how he originally wrote it. McTiernan said it was difficult for Baldwin not to be more lively with the role as Jack Ryan, as Baldwin was used to more energetic roles. However, McTiernan needed Ryan to be unassuming and not flashy. James Earl Jones was always the pick to play Jack Ryan's boss, as he always came off as America's father figure, like someone that is always respected and looked up to. The U.S. Navy gave an authenticity to the makers of the film to see how they function in order to have the Navy sub-scenes be as realistic as possible. And actually, some of the crew in the film are real naval officers. Okay, let's just get right into the film. The movie starts with the following title card. In November of 1984, shortly before Gorbachev came to power, a Typhoon-class Soviet sub surfaced just south of the Grand Banks. It then sank in deep water, apparently suffering from a radiation problem. Unconfirmed reports indicated some of the crew were rescued. But according to the repeated statements by both Soviet and American governments, nothing of what you are about to see ever happened. End of transmission. So it's funny to hear Sean Connery speaking Russian with his Scottish accent still apparent. Uh, The title scene is cool as you see the Red October spelled out in Russian until it changes and translates to English. You see a young, non-bloated Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan, and unlike future Jack Ryan films where his wife is somewhat a central part of the plot, Red October basically ignores her character. The Jack Ryan character is a brilliant CIA analyst who is an expert in military history and conflict. So we're introduced to Admiral Greer, who's of course played by James Earl Jones, and Jones is the only carryover actor to the Harrison Ford era of the Jack Ryan films. Jones, in addition to having one of the most recognizable voices in film history, is also one of the finest character actors in film history. Jack Ryan meets with Greer to discuss the discovery of the Russian sub, Red October, which is bigger than their regular subs. Now, the supporting cast is terrific, with actors who will really make their mark eventually in film and TV in later years. We see a young Courtney B. Vance, who monitors the sonar radar for potential conflicts. 
So much like Clint Eastwood, Connery has a, a quiet confidence and exudes strength simply without saying a word through his mannerisms. And I think that's what's lost in today's acting, is that it's not necessarily how you deliver your lines, but having a presence on screen. And Connery definitely had an amazing on-screen presence, which is why he's a film legend. Connery, for me, is what makes this film enjoyable. Without him, I think this movie would be fairly boring. However, with Connery, I look forward to every scene he's in. Also, I must say that his hairpiece looks very good in the film as well, and he actually did design the piece himself to look spiking gray and cost $20,000 to make. There's also an interesting scene early on that is sort of prophetic of today's world. Connery enters his quarters while on a sub. He discovers one of his colleagues sitting there without asking permission. The man says that he must oversee the crew. Connery replies with, by invading my privacy? To which the man replies, privacy is not a major concern in the Soviet Union, comrade. It's often contrary to the collective good. It's funny how that sentiment seems to be devolving quicker than ever with today's social media. What is interesting in this scene is how the two begin speaking in Russian with English subtitles, and then it transitions to speaking English. This was an obvious switch due to this being a U.S.-based film, and I'm not sure the same tactic would be used if it was made today. It might have been left using subtitles for authenticity. So early on in this film, you sort of realize it's not a turn-off-your-brain popcorn type of movie. You basically have to be engaged from the start, or you might miss key plot points. And I think initially, this is why this Jack Ryan installment almost seemed boring to me as a kid, whereas the Harrison Ford movies were more engaging and, and exciting. It probably didn't help that essentially the entire movie takes place on submarines. Early on, we discover that Marco Ramius, that's Connery, has plans that will likely go against his government's orders as he kills the officer in his quarters who feels he may divulge Connery's plans. We see Ed Rooney, of course, that's Jeffrey Jones, who is the lead for the construction of the United States subs. It's a nice upgrade from following Ferris Bueller around, I think. We discovered that the Red October is essentially undetectable as it has stealth settings which sonar will not pick up. And as Jeffrey Jones puts it, it may sound like two whales humping. Tim Curry is yet another excellent part of the cast as part of Connery's crew as a doctor. Sam Neill plays a captain under C Connery's fleet, and Scott Glenn is part of the United States Navy crew. Like I said, the cast in this film is top-notch, and it seems like every scene includes an actor you've seen before. There's an amusing scene where Connery addresses his crew early on. Comrades, this is your captain. It is an honor to speak to you today. And I'm honored to be sailing with you on the maiden voyage of our motherland's most recent achievement. And once more, we play our dangerous game. A game of chess against our old adversary, the American Navy. For 40 years, your fathers before you and your older brothers played this game and played it well. But today, the game is different. We have the advantage. Now, it reminds me of the heady days of Sputnik and Yuri Gagarin, when the world trembled at the sound of our rockets. Well, they will tremble again at the sound of our silence. The order is, engage the silent drive. Aye, sir. Balance control, open out the doors. Yes, open out the doors. Diving command, engage Caterpillar and secure main engines. Doors opening, Captain. Comrades, our own fleet doesn't know our full potential. They will do everything possible to test us, but they will only test their own embarrassment. We will leave our fleet behind. 
We will pass through the American patrols, pass their sonar nets, and lay off their largest city and listen to their rock and roll while we conduct missile drills. Huh? And when we are finished, the only sound they will hear is our laughter. While we sail to Havana, where the sun is warm, and so is the comradeship. Cryogenic plant coming online, Captain. A great day, comrades. We sail into history. Soyuz, Nirushimi, Respublik, Svabjotnik, Caterpillar engaging. Namikaya Rus. Caterpillar engaging. continuing in his original course. He's continuing northwest. He can't hear us. October was named after the October Revolution of 1917. It's 600 feet long, 32,000 tons, same as the size of a World War II aircraft carrier. The U.S. had been following the Red October until it lost its detection, and this is what it's causing panic for the U.S. government. The Red October could be a threat since it is no longer detectable. Essentially, this is the main plot of the film. The U.S. is hunting for the Red October. Now, this could have just been an exercise for Red October, but if it isn't, it could start a war. Reports have come in from U.S. intelligence that Connery has gone rogue and the Soviets have been instructed to sink the ship. The U.S. fears that if he has gone rogue, it could be to attack the United States, which means panic time. 
son of a bitch! You wish to add something to our discussion, Dr. Ryan? Well, sir, I was just thinking that perhaps there's another possibility we might consider. Ramius might be trying to defect. Do you mean to suggest that this man has Proceed, come... Mr. Ryan. Well, Ramius trained most of their officer corps, which would put him in a position to select men willing to help him. And he's not Russian. He's Lithuanian by birth, raised by his paternal grandfather, a fisherman. And he has no children, no ties to leave behind. And today is the first anniversary of his wife's death. Oh, come on. You're just an analyst. What can you possibly know what goes on in this mine? I know Ramius, General. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. He's been a maverick his entire career. I actually met him once at an embassy dinner. Have you ever met Captain Ramius, General? You slammed the door on the General pretty hard, Jack. That was not my intention, sir. Oh, yes, it was. He was patronizing you and you stomped on him. My opinion, he deserved it. Listen, I'm a politician, which means I'm a cheat and a liar. And when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. But it also means that I keep my options open. So, let's assume for a minute that you're right and this Russian intends to defect. What do you suggest we do about it? We definitely grab the boat, sir. Hey, wait a minute. We're not talking about some stray pilot with a MiG. We're talking about several billion dollars worth of Soviet state property. They're gonna want it back. Maybe it's enough, then, just to get some people on board and inspect it. Call it whatever you want to, a, a Coast Guard safety inspection. So, how do we proceed? Well, first, we would need to contact the commanders in the Atlantic directly. The Russians get one whiff of this through the regular communication circuits, the game is up. Second, we need to figure out what can we do to help them. We need to devise a plan to intercede, ready to go at a moment's notice. And third, Somebody's got to go out there and make contact with Ramius and find out what his intentions really are. Okay, when do you leave? <laughs> Wait a minute. The general was right. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I can't ask any of these characters to go. One, they don't believe in it. Two, they'd never stake their reputation on a hunch. Whereas you are expendable. Something like that. I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. After that, we'll have to hunt down Ramius and destroy him. What are you doing? That was a great scene with another great character actor, Richard Jordan. This Jack Ryan movie is interesting in the sense that the real main character is Sean Connery and not Jack Ryan, and Alec Baldwin is definitely overshadowed by Connery by design. This makes sense since Baldwin was a relatively new actor while Connery was already a legend. Future movies, of course, centered on Jack Ryan, and it's interesting that the series needed a much bigger name to take over the helm instead of using Baldwin again. Though Baldwin was much better than, say, Ben Affleck, with a knack of weakening all franchises. Just see Batman and Daredevil. <laughs> the dinner scene with the Russian fleet 
really highlights Connery and Sam Neill. Since the scene took a day to film, Connery basically had to eat all day, and so he chose the meal of cucumbers and onions all the way through. Woof. Before we begin, Captain, I'd like to know exactly what happened to Putin. He didn't sleep on his tea, did he? I don't think I like your tone, Slavin. What the hell's my tone got to do with it? We're risking our lives here. Look, Putin could have caused complications. What did you think? He'd just go and sulk while we carried out our plans? Is that what you thought? Are you saying he was murdered? My God. Oh, stop whining, Yuri. But murder, how, how can you so justify So he was murdered. I have no problem with that. The man was a pig. But it's a decision we should have all made together. You are not in command here. If the crew finds out. We could have a mutiny. What do you help talking about? Nonsense. They could kill us all. That's right. Everything that happens on this ship affects us all. Master at Arms is already surprised. I just still go back. All we have to say is no going back. Before we sailed, I dispatched a letter to Admiral Bedoran, in which I announced our intention to defect. In the name of God, why? When he reached the New World, Cortez burned his ships. As a result, his men were well motivated. You have signed our death warrants. Adorin will send the entire fleet. Jesus, they'll find us. They'll find us and hunt Nobody's us Nobody's going to find us. That's enough, Yuri. You had to do it, huh? You couldn't just turn the submarine over to the Americans. You had to make a political statement. Or was it something deeper, Captain? Something that made you unable to simply slip away? Was it ego, Captain? We each have our reasons, Victor. Huh? My own began the day I was handed the blueprints for this ship. A ship which had but one use. And as for the rest, well, those are things that I alone must carry the burden for. Anatoly. You're afraid of our fleet. Hmm? You should be. Personally, I give us one chance in three. No more tea, anyway. No? And you may report back to your post. Captain dismissed. Captain? Captain, I would never disagree with you in front of the man, you know that. In this case, Victor is right. It would have been better if you had not informed Moscow. And then you get yet another great character actor, Fred Thompson. It's really interesting the Jack Ryan backstory that from Fred Thompson to give Ryan credit with his commanders. Certifiable. 
And no matter what his credentials, I don't care for him wearing the uniform. You see that ring on his finger? The Academy, class of 72, a Marine. You're kidding. How did you... Greer told me. Summer of his third year, he went down in a chopper accident in the med. Bad. Pilot crew kill. That kid spent 10 months in traction and another year learning to walk again. Did his fourth year from the hospital. Now, it's up to you, Charlie, but you might consider cutting the kid a little slack. Ah. Russian's gonna find that sub before we get near it anyway. To be honest, I'm sure of shocked that this film did so well at the box office. Yes, I agree, the star power is great. However, it's not really an action spy thriller. It's very deliberate in pacing, it's full of dialogue, it's really a slow burner. And I think if it was released today, it would flop because today's ADD film consumer just wouldn't stand for such little action. It's sad, actually. Part of this might simply be there's more options available due to the internet and so many more ways to consume media compared to 30 years ago. Essentially, the final hour of the film is the cat and mouse game between Baldwin and Connery, with Baldwin attempting to get in the head of Connery to figure out what his moves will be and avoid a potential military strike that just seems inevitable. Baldwin is fine in his role, but again, he's no match for Connery. There's an amusing scene with Connery and Neil with them discussing living in America. No, I don't mean James Brown's Rocky IV song. And I will live in Montana. And I will marry a round American woman and raise rabbits. And she will cook them for me. And I will have a pickup truck. Or um, possibly even a recreational vehicle and drive from state to state. Do they let you do that? Yes. No papers? No papers. State to state. All right, commence your turn. Well then, in winter I will live in Arizona. Actually, I think I will need two wives. Oh, at least. It's interesting, action does occur at the end of the film, though it's more implied action with suspenseful elements. T today, it would simply be tons of explosions and CGI, which makes this film sort of refreshing to watch. It's the acting that carries the film, pure and simple. There's another great scene in the heat of the suspense where Connery asked Baldwin about the books he wrote. Torpedo impact, 20 seconds. What books? Pardon me? What books did you write? I wrote a biography of Admiral Halsey called The Fighting Sailor about uh, naval combat tactics. I know this book. Torpedo impact. Your conclusions were all wrong, Brian. Ten seconds. Halsey acted stupidly. Nine, eight, seven, six. All right, let's get into some of the fun facts about this film. The film won an Oscar for Best Sound Effects Editing. Alec Baldwin actually accepted the role of Jack Ryan because Harrison Ford turned it down. Sam Neill also benefited from Ford's refusal three years later by being cast in the lead role of Jurassic Park. So due to his contractual obligation to this movie, director John McTiernan had to pass up the opportunity to direct Die Hard 2. 
So the movie was released in March of 1990, just as Major League Baseball was entering spring training. So Lou Piniella and the rest of the Cincinnati Reds used this movie all season for motivation, and they eventually swept the Oakland A's in the World Series later that October. Get it? The hunt for Red October, the Reds. Yeah, yeah. If you're not a baseball fan, yeah. So Mel Gibson, Michael Keaton, Kurt Russell, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, John Travolta, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Patrick Swayze, Stephen Lang, Jeff Bridges, Ron Perlman, Richard Gere, Michael Norrie, Christopher Lambert were all considered to play Jack Ryan before it went to Alec Baldwin. Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered to play Marco Ramius since he had worked with John McTiernan before on Predator. He also worked with McTiernan again on Last Action Hero. But really, could you imagine Arnold doing this compared to Connery? I love Arnold, but he, he's fit for a certain role and uh, a serious thriller? I, I don't see it. Anyway, we got two great guests. We got Sonny Pooney from the Growing Up Rock podcast who's going to join us, and then my other brother, Brian. So enjoy our great talk, and I'll be back next week for another film. You know him from Growing Up Rock. You know him from Podcast Rock City. And, of course, you now know him for damn good movie memories. It's Sonny Pooney. Welcome back. What's up, man? Just saw you just a little while ago. Oh, Rock and Pod Expo. It's it's always the best, and uh, yeah, I got to see everyone. That was that's always a great time. How how was your uh, Rock and Pod, and and who did you guys get to interview? Uh, we didn't interview that many people this year. We only interviewed uh, Jason Beeler and um, Brian Forsythe for Growing Up Rock for Podcast Rock City. Uh, we talked to the Rock and Roll Residency guys. Talked to Michael Sweet. Uh, I think we talked to Elfson for a minute. There was a bunch of people we did a podcast, Rock City, but growing up rock, we made a mistake the year prior trying to interview like 20 people. (laughs) And it was like, you know what? It's noisy anyway. Just get everybody's name and number and uh, make the connection. And then we'll just connect with them later and do a, a full interview. Right. And you really don't get to enjoy the whole convention itself if you're just interviewing, you know, nonstop. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like it's, you know, you get there. Well, you got there a little bit late because of yeah. some flight delays. But, you know, I got there Friday. I got there Friday morning, but I didn't start really seeing people till like Friday late afternoon. And I left Sunday late morning. And you would think that, you know, you get 36 to 48 hours there. That's plenty. The problem is you never see these people. No. And you never see the listeners. And you never get to really interact with them face to face. So that 36 to 48 hour isn't long enough. Yeah. Exactly. Isn't Brian Forsythe such a cool guy? I mean, the the rock metal combat podcast guys actually let me co-interview uh, him because Ralph wasn't a big Kicks fan, and uh, he was he was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, he looks like he could step into the Stones or the Faces. Oh. I mean, like sixties, late sixties, early seventies is like oozing out of that guy. Totally, totally. I love his guitar tone too, and and Jason Beeler's hilarious too. Yeah, some we had some great great artists and guests. It was uh, it was a really good time. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're going to talk movies, and uh, one of uh, the movies that I, cause I, had, I always give people a laundry list and have them pick what they're interested in, and you immediately went to The Hunt for Red, Red October from 1990. Did you see this when it first came out, or was this just something where you had read the book, or how did you discover this movie? Oh, yeah, I barely know how to read. Like, <laughs> I, I don't like reading. I've read maybe a total of four books my entire life. So okay, I, I need like to know these. the four books now. Uh, I think one was a Garfield book. <laughs> one was uh, Mein Kampf. Remember that movie? Oh, remember that book? Oh, yeah, Hitler. Yeah, there was something about World War II that intrigued me. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul Stanley's book. Okay. And then uh, I Am Third by Gail Sayers. That's the only books I've ever read. 
that is Cover quite the quite the four, man. I, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no rhyme or reason there. All right, so I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna ask you about Tom Clancy and the book and everything. <laughs> yeah. how, how did you discover the movie? Um, well, you know, this movie came out when I was 21 years old, so I saw okay. it at the theater with a friend. I'm not really into military type movies, but uh, a couple of friends had told me, Sonny, this isn't really military. It's more strategy than it is military. Right. And I'm a huge like Stratego risk board game fan. So I was like, mm. oh, I'll check that out. That sounds cool. And that's exactly what this movie is. If anything, it's it's not a ton of action compared to future Jack Ryan movies. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like the future ones, too. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't like that they didn't keep the same actors. That 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 kind of bugged me a little bit. I wish they would have been able to do that. Like the Bourne series, just mm-hmm. kind of straight a little bit. But uh, for most part, it's all the same. Um, but uh, they're all good movies. Yeah, and really the only actor that carried over was James Earl Jones playing Admiral Greer. Yeah, he's got nothing better to do but cameos and these little parts, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll we'll just get right into the cast. How did you like Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan? Oh, man, does he look young, right? I oh. just saw him last week. I'm like, oh, my God, he looks so young. I know, and thin. He was in Beetlejuice. He was in um, Working Girl. Oh, uh, yeah, I love Beetlejuice. So. Yeah, yeah. But he's definitely um, a lot thinner. He, he's always had his hair. I liked that, you know, today he's kind of portrayed as like a comedic guy. Mm-hmm. But in this, that does not really come out at all in this movie. And I kind of liked that. I liked that it was a more serious role. Um, and he played it well, I thought. Oh, definitely, definitely. If anything, he's kind of underused. This is definitely a Sean Connery vehicle. Yeah, did you think it was weird that it's supposed to be a a Russian-American type thing, but you got Belgian actors, English actors, <laughs> Russian actors, Scottish actors. It's like, what, just everybody's deemed Russian? Like, this is Europe versus U.S., really. Oh, yeah, and they weren't even trying with um, Connery's accent. I think they just <laughs> let him do what he wants, and he, yeah, that's uh, whatever Sean Connery's in, I pretty much enjoy, and he really does carry this film. Yeah, he's kind of uh, veered off films for a little bit, but uh, you know, I've got four or five that movies that he's done that I absolutely love, so... Yeah, absolutely. I think this definitely makes it... It's interesting, because I think if this movie was made today, I think they would have probably kept in the Russian... Uh, dialogue. I think they would have, uh, you know, done subtitles or something like that. But they pretty much they do in the beginning, and then they go right back in, and they go into they transition into English. I love the way they transitioned that. How it kind of zoomed in mm-hmm. and then transitioned from subtitles to English. I, I love you. I really have never seen that in a movie. Yeah, it's it was really kind of it, it was really well done. Yeah. So in, in addition to Connery and Baldwin, you had Scott Glenn who plays the kind of the the captain you know the uh, on that particular vessel and sam neal and you get tim curry in a small bit role courtney b vance in a very you know uh, early role jeffrey jones so it's really a great cast yeah i would say out of all the characters scott glenn as mancuso is my favorite because there's mm-hmm. a no nonsense i mean it would as an american as an american citizen right mm-hmm. that that's the exact guy i want running my submarine Exactly. Exactly. And he actually um, he had I did a little bit of research on this. He had an actual uh, captain that he followed and that he had full access to in, in the entire ship and that the seaman had to actually uh, follow his orders 
uh, he was instructed to, so he could get a full feel of running a ship and things like that. And it totally paid off because you can see that in his role. Yeah. And, uh, Courtney Vance, I like his role too. Mm -hmm. I've only really seen him in one other movie, uh, maybe two. I think I've seen him in two other movies. Uh, He must either. I don't really watch his movies or he doesn't act that much. Well, that, and he was brilliant. He played Johnny Cochran in the OJ. Oh, that's right. The TV thing I did watch. I was, I was wondering, I'm like. I've seen him on TV, but I couldn't place what it was. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that was Amer- awesome. Oh, American Crime Story. It's terrific. He's also, uh, he's in a lot of stuff, actually, but he was really, he, he deserved a women Emmy for, for that, for his portrayal as that. He was also in Law and Order. He, I think he was in Criminal Intent, too. Yeah, I'm not much of a CSI, NCIS, Criminal Intent guy. I like okay. more the lawyer type stuff, more than the crime scene type stuff. Another thing about this movie, and I just realized it just dawned on me, this is... A hundred percent male. I, is there one female actor in this film? Uh, you see um, Jack Ryan's wife for about two seconds right. at the front <laughs> of the movie. And that's the only criticism I have. It's yeah. one of the few movies I love in my life that has no r- romantic interest. Like, at all. where did the women go? Right. And actually, I think so. And Jack Ryan, and I'm glad you brought this up. Jack Ryan's wife in this movie is British. And I guess Tom Clancy was not happy with this because that's not how it was written. And so they I don't know why they made her British, because in future films, she's American. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that, that part's a little weird. Right, right. So so you saw it back in the day. Do you, is this something you revisit once a year or is it every few years? And obviously, does it hold up for you today? It definitely holds up for me today, um, even though what the the movie's now 29 years old. Yeah. And it doesn't feel it. And it was done well to where and I, maybe it's because a lot of the scenes are kind of dark anyway, because they're trying to create this submarine culture that you don't feel the age of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch it anytime it's on cable because I still haven't cut the cord. I'm a still a cable guy. <laughs> I uh, I just said I'm a cable guy. That was a little weird. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so I still watch it anytime it comes on. And this is one of those movies that I've seen so many times. It can be 36 minutes in. I know exactly where I am. Pick it up. No problem. And it can be like background noise for whatever else I'm doing. Um, but I probably see it at least once a year, if not more, because it's constantly on cable. Mm-hmm. And then what, in the scheme of all the Jack Ryan movies, I'm assuming you've seen them all, how, how, where does this rank for you? Oh, I'd say this one, this one in Clear and Present Danger is probably tied for the top spot. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, as always, Sonny, thank you so much, and we'll have you back on soon. All right, thanks, man. All right, we're back with my other brother, Brian. How you doing, Brian? Pretty good, how are you? Good, good. Long time no talk, and... Uh, yeah. We had been planning on doing this one for a while, and we were finally connected. Just we're on the ship, like uh, the guys <laughs> in the movie. The and ship has launched. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we're going to talk about 1990s, The Hunt for Red October. Now, did you see this as a kid in the theater, or was this something did, like, yeah. "Yo, cool"? Oh yeah, I, I I was trying to remember if I I watched it on opening weekend or not. I think it was pretty darn close to that because I was pretty excited to see it. Did so you read the original novel? I did, but it was well after the fact, like probably a couple of years after I I read the or after I watched the movie. And I was reluctant because I I had done that in the past where I watched the movie then then read the book, and it, it was hard to just like keep interest in the book if you're you know you're familiar with the material and you kind of know the ending so sure um but i i felt like the 
the movie and book were pretty close and the book actually had a little bit more to it in some cases that, that enhanced the story, but mm-hmm. especially the ending. Um, but generally like the whole, like the A to, like when you A to Z, it was kind of like, you know, it kind of starts and ends up in the same place. So uh, I, I felt like it was a faithful adaptation for sure. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess in the book, he didn't have a British wife, which I guess Clancy never liked that about the movie, but you barely see, you don't really see a wife. Yeah. In, in, yeah. I read that she, her scenes got, was by, played by Gates McFadden, by the way, who was Dr. Crusher on, Star Trek. Um, ah. She, uh, <laughs> she, uh, I think one of her scenes got cut, and there was, uh, I think there was, I don't know if there was ever a, a DVD release with the deleted scenes or not, but um, like my old DVD copy doesn't have anything on it. But I read right. somewhere that she w- she had a larger role, and then like they just kind of cut it down to like a really. I think she has like two words or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> two lines, like not even a line of dialogue, and you see her kind of like rushing out of the house in the beginning of the movie, and that's it. Well, besides her, there are no females in this movie. No, it's, it's a pretty dude dude centric yeah, movie. <laughs> it is. It, yeah. It's a it's a sausage fest. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe they did that, or maybe they cut her out on purpose to keep the the kind of continuity of an all guy film. But it is kind of interesting yeah. when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I think it, it probably could have benefited with having like they. I guess they showed his connection to his, his daughter in the beginning. Sure. Thing with the teddy bear, or you know, she wants to she wants like there's something at the beginning about her wanting her wanting them to like buy a buy her a baby brother or something like that and he says we'll get her a bear instead or something right. like that. <laughs> so uh <laughs> so i mean there was like to add some character depth to that jack ryan you know like he's got a family at home but yeah it was uh it was very it was very minimal that part and yeah there's like basically no women in the movie so when you saw it in the theater did you immediately like it or was this kind of a slow burner for you uh, i immediately liked it i don't i don't know what it was about like why I was excited to see it. Um, I think I liked Sean Connery a lot, James Bond, and uh, I liked him in um, Highlander, yeah, Indiana Jones. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I don't think I've seen Highlander at the time, but, oh, okay. I, but I have since then seen that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think he's a good actor. I mean, he, he was also an incredible jerk. Apparently, um, I think he came into this movie wearing a wearing a head uh, like a hairpiece that had a ponytail to it. Right. <laughs> and she was really insistent about wearing it and the director was fuming and then like basically the crew started laughing at him. Like the cinematographer and some of the other guys were just making fun of the, the ponytail. And so exactly. he, he got <laughs> Connery got upset enough that he just he decided to take it off and got went with a a more standard <laughs> hair paint. That's right. And actually I think he ended up picking the the kind of the spiky version of what he ended up uh, going with and that looked a lot better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so how do you feel about Alec Baldwin playing Jack Ryan, and, and who is your go-to Jack Ryan in the series, actor-wise? Um, I think because I liked Hunt for Red October a lot, I liked Alec Baldwin in that role. Um, I also thought, like, when Harrison Ford did it, he just seemed like a, a, like a much older character, where I thought, like, the character in Hunt for Red October was kind of, like... It's hard to tell. I mean, Alec Baldwin was pretty young there. I don't know exactly how old, but like relative to what you see from him now, and like he's he's somewhat naive in that um, in that movie, and I kind of like that about Jack Ryan. I thought when when Harrison Ford got the role, Jack Ryan was more of like a grizzled figure, um, 
So I don't know. I think maybe it's just that I like Hunt for the October story better too than okay. Games and Clear. I, I mean, I like Patriot Games, and I think Clear and Present Danger was good too. Um, and I, I like Harrison Ford's one of my favorite actors anyway. But I I don't know. I just I guess I just like Alec Baldwin overall in the, in the role. Well, he's definitely better than uh, Ben Affleck, so that's probably <laughs> my least favorite one. Even uh, though that was, yeah, yeah, was probably, yeah, of all the Jack Ryan, but like Chris Pine was pretty good. That was a totally different thing, though. I would say. Yeah, like, and that, that was, was well done. Like I, a, yeah, yeah, it was good. It was more like a, I don't know, it felt more like a Born Identity kind of movie or something like exactly. that. Exactly, exactly. And I liked uh, how Costner, Kevin Costner, was in that one too. Oh, that's right. So yeah, he, did, was, yeah. I think he was one of the guys who was they were considering casting him for. Uh, for Jack Ryan to begin with. And Which would have made he, sense actually at the time. Yeah, and he and he had acted with Connery in um in Untouchables, so they had the chem- on screen chemistry, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh he, he ended up doing uh, Dance with Wolves instead. So and Harrison Ford, I guess, turned down Jack Ryan initially. Uh Baldwin got it. So I don't know. That's I interesting. felt like it ended up okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's, I think in the long run it was fine. I mean this is definitely a Connery movie. I mean he's first build uh, Jack yeah. Ryan, I wouldn't call him an afterthought, but he's definitely not. He didn't turn into the character that eventually morphed into when when Harrison Ford took over. Yeah, he's yeah. I would say that those the, the Harrison Ford movies there was much more of a those are Jack Ryan centric, and this was like yeah, this was more Rain, Captain Rainius and with Jack Ryan kind of thing. Yeah. How did you feel about the side characters, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, Scott Glenn playing like the, you know, the Bart Mancuso or Sam Neill playing oh. Captain Bourdain? Like, how did you feel about them? So I actually love this movie because all of these, like all these, it's like a who's who of character actors. I know. It's true. All these guys are great. Um, I mean, despite it being like a, you know, sausage party, like we talked about, <laughs> like you have Scott Glenn, yep. Sam Neill, James Earl Jones. Courtney D. Vance, who I think was on Law and Order and has been on other stuff. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, who's yeah. in you know, some Tim Burton movies and he was on Deadwood and things like that. So he's really good. Uh, Tim Curry, who's great as the doctor. Yep. Um, the Soviet ambassador is a guy named Joss Ackland, British actor. Um, but he was just, he was good as this was like, he did a good job as this Russian ambassador. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is like the antagonist russian submarine captain yep uh fred dalton thompson who was in die hard 2 i think and then he you know he later became a senator um <laughs> uh, i don't know all these guys are you know seen seen him in lots of other movies before and they're all really good uh i forget the actor's name but he, he was the he played the u.s uh, national security advisor he was good too um i don't know i just i think that's what really makes the movie because sometimes the I think that, like, watching it again recently, and some of it's a bit slow by today's standards, but right. I think because you have all these different good character actors in there, that it ke- kind of keeps the plot moving despite the fact that, that it's a little bit of a slow burner, like, compared to what you would see nowadays. Yeah, that's a great point. I think I appreciate this movie being older than I did when I first saw it when I was, God, I was probably like 13 or 14. It was a little bit too slow for me. That's why I really liked the Harrison Ford version, because that was pretty much a lot of action. Uh, there's yeah, less, yeah. There's yeah, less... Later There's on. less yeah. scenes of like, which I really appreciate now, like at the at the table with Connery, you know, going over everything while he's eating mm-hmm. and everything. Like, I really like that scene now. But as a kid, I was kind of like, okay, let's let's move it along. <laughs> and we're and it take place it takes place on on a boat the whole time, which is really 
that can be kind of tricky. It's almost like Hitchcock, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it's kind of stagey in that way, where there's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, these very tight quarters, and the lighting is, is very dark, and they have, I was reading that they, they intentionally, to help the audience understand which boat they were on at which time, they used different lighting for different different submarines. So like yeah, one exactly. Was, mm-hmm. One was green, one was, one was red. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know, it was just interesting how they, they lit the movie, and how it's kind of, I don't know, I, I mean, everything is about it's really intense, and it's Sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's over the top, but then, like, what they're dealing with is, like, a super serious incident where, you know, it's, like, potentially someone is going to launch a bunch of nukes, so. Right. I guess, you know, it has to have some gravity, and, like, it's just kind of funny because, like, you could just, like, a lot of the, a lot of the ways they convey, like, the, like, the stress of the movie is just, like, how deeply they, some of the characters, like, puff on a cigarette. Right. <laughs> the most extreme, like, <laughs> drag on a cigarette that you'll, you'll see in movies. It's kind of funny. Well, that's kind of like old school Hollywood. It was, uh, you know, kind of like almost like stage play acting. Yeah, exactly. Which I miss. I miss stuff like that because I, that's why I really liked where kind of, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? Yes, I have. I loved it, actually. Yeah, and I and that I really liked how it was kind of like an old school talkie film. You know, that's that's yeah. that. I really miss it, that. It didn't need the action. It was just kind of something you you lived in for a while. It was good. Definitely. And and this movie, did, The Hunt for Ryder Tubbard, actually did really well, which I was surprised how well it did, considering it really was wasn't it was more of a thriller than a you know straight up action film. Yeah, I think I was I don't remember. It's hard to remember back at the time. I think I, I went in expecting it to be a thriller. And not, I wasn't expecting an action movie, although um, I guess like even like the U.S. Navy helped part- like they participated in helping like train right. actors on how to like operate a submarine or pretend to operate a submarine so they were they were thinking about it as like another way to like get recruits the way top gun did but ah, yes. that kind of movie at all <laughs> much more thriller and I, I think i think because i was expecting that going in i, I wasn't expecting you know as much action as like i mean even like crimson tide which is a pretty similar movie in a lot of ways um i would say it has it had more action to it than than hunt for october yeah, definitely. Uh, so, how would this rank? I, I think you you would. This is your your favorite, but uh, of all the movies, where would how would you rank them all? Uh, of all the Jack Ryan movies, so Jack Ryan, I, I I would still think this one is my top. And for some reason, like Patriot Games and and Clear and Pleasant, Present Danger run together in my mind. So I don't, I can't tell which one of those two I like better. I think at the time I like Clear and Present Danger better, but I don't. Which one had Willem Dafoe in it? That was the second one. So Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. 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 I think I like that one a little better. It's been a really long time since I've seen either of those two. And I like the Chris Pine one pretty well, um, Jack Ryan. Um, and then the last is Some of All Fears, which I, I didn't think was a terrible movie. I just wasn't like sold on Ben Affleck. I exactly. So, <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like he, thank God for him. So otherwise, yeah, yeah, a total, exactly. a total bust. Yeah. Have yeah, you? Watched... I never wanted to see it. I didn't want to see it in the theater, and then I remember watching it on video. I'm like, yeah, well, this wasn't so bad. But <laughs> <they> went, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever watch the Amazon um, series that they have for him? For Jack Ryan? No, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I'm uh, thinking of watching it soon because I, I saw the second season came out. Right, because it's John Krasinski, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that good? Like I, don't, I, have, I have to watch it too so oh, that's, okay. there's so much <laughs> stuff on tv now it's like TV i know i can't movie keep, yeah. Can't yeah i can't either and and uh, samantha but, samantha keeps recommending all these shows that are all great so i, ju- I just oh, finished okay. mindhunter so yeah <laughs> oh 
Oh yeah, I gotta see that. See that's, I, don't know. I just don't have time to watch TV. Though. I know. <laughs> I know. I, eventually, this is going to morph into a TV uh, podcast, but that's yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. Do you have any other uh, submarine movies that you that you particularly like? Oh God. Oh um. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. It's not a submarine movie, but it, it's a ship movie. Mister Roberts. Oh, I haven't seen that. Is that? Uh, is that old? Yeah. Movie? Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of like a a comedy slash drama, and you got James Cagney and um, Henry Fonda, and God, who else is in it? But I, a lot of it's a, it's a great great cast. Uh, I would I would I think it came out uh, came out in 1960 uh, or 1955. So let's see who's in it. Henry Fonda, William Powell's in it, and Jack okay. Lemmon. So I think you'd really like it. So Henry Fonda, James Cagney, William Powell, Jack Lemmon. Like yeah, it sounds like a really good cast. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a little bit long. Like it's it's a little over two hours, but no, it's it's it takes place during World War II, and they're just kind of getting over. It's towards the end of World War II, so they're uh, trying to wrap up. But it's really well done because Cagney plays this like tyrannical uh ship leader <laughs> so <laughs> they all kind of uh join together to to g- go against them sort of yeah it's kind of like mutiny on the bounty i guess but, uh... <laughs> yeah exactly except with humor so yeah okay yeah i actually did so actually i'm really into submarine movies and some of my friends were back a while ago like in the early 2000s so we actually did like a a marathon of a bunch of them we mm. did we watched Hunt for Red October, um, the Dust Boat. Oh yeah, long, but it's good. It's just like it's incredibly long and kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I can't believe we watched all these in one day. I think we were just like <laughs> younger. It was easier too. <laughs> uh, we watched Crimson Tide and yep. uh, Run Silent Run Deep, the old uh, Clark Gable one. Oh yeah, that one's great. Oh, all were pretty good, but um, yeah, this is my favorite of of the bunch. Hunt uh, for uh, it's just, so- I think it's Connery and like I like got glenn a lot in this movie and i don't know, like the the music is good mm-hmm. like the, the russian singing i don't know it's pretty it's just kind of a different movie I, i'm glad it. you brought that the, the russian part and that was kind of cool how they did that where i always think uh, today they might have left it all in russian subtitles and oh uh, yeah yeah i like how they transitioned uh when they were yeah uh, in his yeah that to date i think is still the most clever way of transitioning that i've seen you oh, know, i agree going from subtitles to you know english or whatever i i've seen other movies do some similar things that they haven't pulled it off as well or they start in, start out in english the whole time and you're just supposed to assume they speak another language and, right yeah that was really clever i thought oh i thought so too um cause it's funny because you just recommended and i finally saw it you had recommended it a long time ago and i finally saw it uh borg versus McEnroe, and that one they left subtitles the whole time uh with oh yeah bjorn borg uh, part Borg, yeah yeah so that kind of reminded me of this except uh, when he's talking to McEnroe, but yeah exactly <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> but no that yeah, was really like, well did done. you like that movie was i it? did i liked it a lot and uh it really you know because when i was growing up of course i'm rooting for the american i'm rooting for McEnroe. yeah yeah watching the movie i'm like oh, i'm glad borg beat him the first time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it probably didn't help that shia labeouf plays McEnroe. i mean i, I think know. it was good good casting but also like I don't know. He's not really a likable actor, so. Well, it kind of made sense then, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, I guess it worked. 
I, I didn't know that they eventually became good friends when they got older. So, yeah. but yeah, so check out Borg vs. McEnroe if you're into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the subject of submarine movies, check out Borg. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they pretend it's on a submarine. Yes. <laughs> well, as always, thank you so much, Brian, and we'll yeah, have you back on sure. soon. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to. That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.